Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the NBA Front Office YouTube channel. The NBA offseason is just about here. All kinds of stuff starting to come out. We're going to break it down, plus have a little bit of education time today, too. We're going to talk a little bit about exceptions and how those work. Hopefully fill everybody in so you will enter this offseason with a little bit more knowledge, hopefully, than you had previously. So lots to dive into, but first, make sure you do subscribe right here to the NBA Front Office YouTube channel and make sure you turn on those notifications as well. We are so appreciative. We are, we are, we're a rocket ship at this point. We are blasting off towards 5,000 subscribers. It's beyond belief. We really appreciate it. So make sure you guys do subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, Keith, I guess let, let's start with this, uh, this latest Ben Simmons. It feels like every day we have to talk a little bit about the latest in the, <laughs> the revolving world around Ben Simmons. Uh, now it's looking like the Sacramento Kings getting involved, but man, the price could be steep in terms of what the Sixers want. Yeah, Trevor, you remember, I, we're probably close enough in age that if you stayed home from school, for me, I went to my grandmother's when I stayed home from school because my dad traveled for a living and my mom worked. And my grandmother would put the soap operas on. Yep. And, and there was uh, the one that was like the sands through an hourglass. These are the days of our <laughs> lives. So these are the days of our Ben Simmons trade rumors. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we're just, we're, it's going to be there until, until it's not. But, you, you know, it's, as long as it's new stuff, we're going to talk about it, right? Because it may make sense to talk about it. And that's what this King's uh, stuff is. And I'm going to call it stuff because I, I, I call it short of being a real rumor because I don't know that it's really going to be be a thing. But, yeah, I think um, the match makes some sense there. You know, Kings are one of those teams that, again, probably not going to sign a superstar. So if you can go trade for one and get them there, why not? But it sounds like the Sixer side is saying, sure, let's start off by talking to Aaron Fox. And if I was the Kings, bye, see you later. I'm going to hang up the phone. It's not going to go anywhere, right? If you want to talk Buddy Heald, if you want to talk Buddy Heald and DeLon Wright, uh, if you want to talk Harrison Barnes, uh, if you want to talk Marvin Bagley, Anybody of what De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, I'm probably open to the conversation. And it's not that Halliburton is that, that you know, in Simmons class as a player yet. It's just he's young and he's cheap. So that's not, you know, there's nothing there. But, yeah, you want to talk anybody else, that's good. But if it, if Philly's going to say De'Aaron Fox, which good for Philly, right, start there. But, yeah, I would move on if I was Sacramento. Well, so right now what's what's being rumored is that, the 76ers are saying we want either Halliburton or Fox in any kind of a deal. Whereas the Kings are saying, well, let, now let, let's build something around Heald and Marvin Bagley. And the retort to that has been, well, if it's going to be Heald and Marvin Bagley, there's got to be not one, not two, three first round picks going with those two players. If that's going to be the deal, if it's not Halliburton, it's not Fox. We want Three first. Now we can talk. Obviously, we don't know if there be protections on those and things like that's kind of you know the 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 minutia that we can get into. But still, that I think that informs us of not just how they see Halliburton and Fox versus Heald and Bagley. And I'm sure the 76ers would ask for picks along with Halliburton or Fox as well. Don't get me wrong. You can ask. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, but you can certainly ask. But I also mm-hmm. also think it informs us of what the asking price is for the 76ers. So far, we've heard it's very high, and this backs that up, that they want Heald, Bagley, and three firsts in order to have this kind of a conversation. That tells you that they are they are not looking to sell cheap here on Ben Simmons. They are anticipating getting quite a haul for him. Yeah, and we've been saying all along, if you're Philly, you want that haul. And if you don't get it, 
then maybe that's when you say, all right, we're going to keep this moving. But the only challenge with that becomes if we start hearing real stuff where there's like, hey, it could be, you know, player X and Y for Simmons and picks. And and it starts getting into the realm where it's like, all right, they they real had real conversations. It just gets harder and harder to bring him back and have him be fully committed because you're clearly not fully committed to him as a player if you're getting that far down the line. If it's, you know, thrown out there, the Kings are interested and that's where it died. All right, sure. I mean, 29 teams are interested in Ben Simmons to, to at some level. So, so yeah. So I think that 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 becomes your your challenge point. There is the further this goes, and the deeper you get into trade talks, the less likely it is he comes back. And then do you get in a position where we overplayed our hand a little bit? We asked for too much, and now we're having to kind of take uh, your know, last best offers here. But it should still be pretty good offers that come. I just. Yeah, I just don't like the idea of the um, the the uh, Fox deal from the Kings side. It just doesn't make sense. It's you know because if you're the Kings, you want to add Simmons to Fox uh, to probably keep him Rashawn Holmes to Halliburton, and that's hopefully there's your core of finally breaking that playoff drought. If you start going the other direction, that's probably not good enough to crack it in the West. It's just not going to be. Yeah, that, that's the whole point for a lot of these teams. It's to add Simmons to something that they've already got established, not to necessarily gut their team, or essentially, in order to bring him in and then be left with Ben Simmons and not a whole lot around him. That's not going to work for teams that, you know, that that's not the, the way forward for them. But there's also one other part of this that I want to address. So I would imagine and this is me speculating here, but I would imagine that if we do see a deal come together that's similar to that, let's say it's Marvin Bagley, uh, Buddy Heald, and three first-round picks, or it's anybody and a bunch of firsts, it would not shock me at all if we see either a three-team deal come together where those firsts are later moved, because remember, the 76ers are in win-now mode, they've got Joel Embiid, or you see something down the line. doesn't have to all happen at the same time. I would be surprised, though, if the 76ers just hung on to those firsts. I think they're looking for guys that can help them right now and those will be used as ammunition not necessarily used as actual draft picks by the team they'll use those to bring in some more talent down the road so when we whenever we start to evaluate the trade if it does go that way we have to remember that those future firsts are probably going to be used to bring in some more talent before we kind of say jump the gun and say oh this was a clear win for the 76ers or a loss for the 76ers future moves will be coming if a big part of the trade is picks yeah absolutely yeah they're 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 Especially if it's uh, close in picks, yeah. there's not a lot of need for those now. If there, if you start talking three, four, five years down the line, all right, you're probably looking at a different iteration of the 76ers at that point. So then they might hang on to them. But you, you always think about it, right? It always sounds good when it's, you know, wow, we got all these picks, you know, for the next, you know, we own a team's draft for the next seven years and those things. If you're the GM who makes that trade, that sounds good. Until you don't get it done, then you're not the one making those picks anyway. So if you're Daryl Morey, and Daryl Morey's never been a real build-through-the-draft guy, right? He's been more of a, I'll move picks along with players to build up around what we've got right now. And I don't think that's a sign of being impatient or anything. I just think he likes more known quantities, and he wants to build around what he knows. So that makes sense to me why he would push uh, that direction, you know, if it was, hey, we're, we're going to push all in and move along some picks. But, yeah, you know, I mean, tomorrow we're going to get another Ben Simmons destination, I'm sure. It's just going to keep going this way for a while. But, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's interesting, right, because it's pretty rare that a player 
player his age with his skill set that's signed long term uh, really does come on the market, and it feels like he really is on the market. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it, 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 with each rumor, it gets less and less likely that he returns to the 76ers. It, it feels like we're pushing yeah. further and further towards him being gone. But that being said, Ben Simmons is not the only thing going on around the NBA. The Wizards finally look like they're getting close to hiring a coach. Some finalists announced for the job. Keith, what do you, what are your, what's your take on that? I know you've got a bit of a rooting interest here in Wes Unsell Jr. getting the spot, but what? How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's more just I think it makes for a great story if mm-hmm. Wes Unsell Jr. gets that dad hired hired in there as the coach his dad was a player for the wizards a great player for the wizards uh one of the all-time best outlet passers you'd ever see play uh in the nba if you go watch uh, old highlights of him uh my dad schooled me on that back in the day um and then um then he was a coach and then he was a longtime uh, general manager for the franchise as well so yeah but Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, a couple of Milwaukee Bucks assistants. Uh, makes sense, right? Teams are going to – it works a lot like the NFL kind of where, hey, that team went to the Super Bowl or they won the Super Bowl. Let's start poaching their co- their assistant coaches, which my Patriots know quite well. Uh, you know, I think half of the NFL coaches came from Bill Belichick's tree at one point, it feels like. Uh, not with a lot of success, though. Let's, let's <laughs> no. not that. <laughs> you get a little far from home there and it doesn't work out quite, quite as good, but that's me being a cocky Patriots fan. Uh, but yeah, so we get it. Why, right. Why a couple bucks assistants are, are mentioned there and ham and uh, Charles Lee, uh, ham and Unsell junior too. They've been close before. Uh, we've talked about that a lot with Jamal Mosley, with Ime Udoka. Uh, the, these guys who have kind of been through it a handful of times now. Uh, feels like it's just their time. Charles Lee, this is uh, one of the first times I can really remember his name uh, being bandied about. But my guess is all three of these guys are head coaches within the next uh, two, three seasons at the latest um, there. Because they're all, you know, getting uh, mentioned with so many jobs. And uh, for Unseld and Ham. They're at the top of list for jobs uh, so far. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's going to happen soon. I think we're going to have a, a sense of where these guys are in terms of who actually gets the spot. And uh, at that point, there's not much left out there on the on the coaching. I mean, that's that's about it. So I mean, all of them. Yeah. At, at that point, we'll have all the coaches in place. From there, sure, there's still a few question marks, like uh, like for the Lakers, Frank Vogel, are they going to get an extension done with them? Things like that. There'll be some yeah. little bits and pieces, but for the most part. The, the free agent coaching search is is done, right? And once this concludes, then we'll know who all the head coaches are in the NBA for next season, and then teams will head into the draft knowing what coach they're kind of building around. Although more and more these days, it's more the coach adapts to the team and what yeah. they're doing than vice versa. Yeah, you don't – unless you're – pretty deep in um, as a coach and you've been around for a while and you're building for a specific thing and they know uh, it's for the most part you're drafting talent in the draft and, and for fit around the other players you have necessarily against the, the coach you have. Now there's a handful of coaches that, that still carry that kind of gravitas that if they got hired, you build a roster that fits what they do. Like it would 
no one would ever would ever hire Mike D'Antoni and give him a slow plotting offense, right? Like it just right, wouldn't yeah. make sense. But you you're not also going to hire Mike D'Antoni and then say, well, all the personnel has to be exactly what he needs because then it starts to be, well, how long is he going to be there and all those kind of things. It just goes sideways if you do it that way. It's about building the best team and then you the, the coach either adapts or you get a new one. And we as we saw this year, seven new ones uh, <laughs> going to be uh, new places. So, yeah, yeah, I know we wanted to take a time. It's been a little bit of a lighter news day. Uh, so we want to take a little bit of time to dive into some uh, common cap questions we get. We're, we're going to lock as we love the uh, – the participation, the feedback that you guys are jumping in the comments of these videos, hitting us up with stuff, continue to do so because we'll pull, pull topics from there. This one's coming right out of it. We've had a lot of people ask, you guys talk a lot about exceptions and mid-level and all this and that. What does that actually mean? And then people read that. They hear it on the radio. They hear it on these TV shows and all that. So we're going to give you a little bit of a breakdown of what uh, the various exceptions mean and how they work. Yeah, and which I think is going to be great. Hopefully this is something that people can refer back to as well in future seasons and uh, there's ever any questions about them. Of course, we're we're happy to answer them. So if you've got other topics that you want us to address too, fire it off in the comments section because we do go through and we read it and we take ideas from there in terms of things that uh, that you guys want to hear us talk about. But I guess, you know, the main exceptions that we hear are the, the veteran minimum, the mid-level, the biannual. Those are your, your, your exceptions. So what do you... Why are these in existence? Why do these exist? Why does the NBA have them? And I guess let's go big picture. Let's go macro here. Why not just have a straight hard cap for everybody? You cannot pass this ceiling. Why have the exceptions that allow you to exceed it? Yeah, great question. And and that's what the NFL does. This is where it's different, right? The NFL has a hard cap. You can't cross it. You you go. Now the NFL has stuff where you can roll caps based over. I don't I'm not an expert there, but but the NBA is a soft cap. So what that means is you can exceed the salary cap. In most seasons, almost every single team ends up exceeding the salary cap. It is very, very rare that somebody finishes under the cap. In a season, it's also pretty rare if anybody it it's actually I've never seen it where someone comes in right on. Uh, I would have to really go back and look. I have not. I can't remember that. It'd be really hard um, to do. But yeah, exactly. To really simply answer answer your question, why does it exist this way? Because that's how the players and the agents want it, yes. right? The players' association wants their guys to be able to get more money. So next year, for example, the salary cap projects to be about one hundred and twelve million. They want it to. They want teams to spend one hundred and twenty million or so, you know. And then, then the NBA on the flip side, right? They put in the luxury tax, which is all right. You spent way over, so we're going to tax you. Then there's the hard cap. We just discussed the hard cap mechanisms in a prior video and how you get there. So go check that one out uh, if you're interested in that. But exceptions. So, so you mentioned. Let, let's kind of talk them in order of usage. I guess is the best way to put it. So. The first one is the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. That's going to be probably, call it 20 teams, are going to have that available to them this year. This year, that projects to be about $9.5 million. And you get that exception when you're over the cap, but you're under the tax apron. It's not necessarily under the tax. It's the tax apron. Um, so so that's, that's $9.5 million. You can split that up. You can use that on as many players as you want that fit. Uh, within that number, you can use it on one player, 
It can be for as long as a four-year deal uh, there. Um, it's generally used for veterans a lot of times. Uh, guys like Tristan Thompson signed for this. Montrezl Harrell signed for this last year for the two teams we primarily cover. Um, but that's a very regularly used. And then you see a lot of teams will give, you know, five million of it to one guy, two million or three million to another guy, and then you know use the rest there. Uh, a lot of teams use a chunk of this to sign players to um, contracts for the minimum that are longer than two years because uh, if you use the minimum exception you're you're capped at a two-year contract so you'll see a lot of times you'll you'll see or you'll see me tweet or say they used a chunk of that what was left on a player to give them more than a two-year deal uh, i'll say that pretty regularly so that's the non-taxpayer um and let's just yep, just ahead. to give them this um so we've got the the cap coming in at 112 that tax line's probably coming in right around 136 ish Yep. So it's a team that yep. falls in between that range, between 112 million and 136 million. They'll get that well, it's tax-, a tax apron, right? Tax apron, not the tax, so not yeah. the tax. But so yeah, yeah, that'll it's going to be between that. 112 and 143 um, million in total salary. They'll, they'll have access to this. That's not exactly right because if you're if you're over the you're probably more accurate to say it this way if, if you say the tax, because then if you spend, you'd get hard capped, you get hard capped at the right. apron and stuff. So, and so, so, that yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So call it 112 million to 135 million ish. Right. That's about where you're, you can use the non-tax pyramid level or the entirety of it. Uh, just as a quick aside, you use an amount that's equal to the tax pyramid level and you get yourself hard capped. So that's that's how you get hard. That's one of the three ways you get hard cap. Right. Uh, the taxpayer mid level this year that's five point eight nine million. Uh, so about five point nine million um, in spending power. That's if you're over the tax apron, you get that amount that you can go spend as long as you're not also hard capped. And if you're hard capped, then you, again you can't go over the hard cap by even a dollar. Um, so that that's your number there. So that's if you're going to be over the tax apron or if you're you're so close to it that doing anything takes you over it, you're only going to functionally have the taxpayer mid-level of $5.9 million. The other one that goes along with over-the-cap teams is the biannual exception. The biannual exception is about $3.7 million for this upcoming season. Uh, this is familiar to Lakers fans. That's what they used to sign Wesley Matthews this past year. Um, with the biannual exception, there's a couple caveats with it. One, you only get it if you didn't use it the year before. If you used even a dollar of it the year before, you don't get it. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, oddly, did not use every dime of the biannual exception. They used most of it to sign Boban last year. Uh, they left a little bit behind. Uh, they, they they don't get to roll that over, use it next year. You just don't have it. Then a year after that, it comes back. So you can only use this one every other year. Uh, you lose this if you go over the tax apron. So if your, your tax bill is very high, um, you don't get this exception and you can't use it. Um, you also lose these exceptions if you go under the cap, which I'll cover in just a minute. Because uh, you do still get a bonus exception uh, at that point. So so the biannual exception, $3.7 million. Uh, similarly to to the others, um, you, it's generally this one generally does not get split up. It's more often used uh, pretty regularly on one player um, there. So that's you know just just generally the way that one works uh, with the biannual. And again, why do these exist? No. This is to help teams spend money so, because players and agents want the teams to be able to spend the money. So yep. this allows yeah. teams to continue it frees spending up the market. Even 
Yes. Exactly. Allows for player movement that wouldn't exist otherwise if everybody was completely capped out. The other thing in the NBA, unlike the NFL, uh, the NFL, most contracts are only partial or they're non-guaranteed. So if you waive a guy that makes $20 million, you may be left with a $5 million cap hit mm-hmm. and for you free up that much in cap space. In the NBA, the vast majority of contracts are fully guaranteed. So waiving a player ne- doesn't necessarily free up cap space for you. Um, they, they have this stretch provision we'll cover that in a future video um, we can talk about what that means and how that works there so now what happens if you're under the cap you're not going to get the taxpayer right because clearly you're not paying the tax if you're under uh, you're also not going to get the non-taxpayer or the biannual those go away and what you'll be left with is what's called the room exception this year that's 4.9 million how i like to look at the room exception is Hey, you did an awesome job. You were under the salary cap. You spent you you spend all that cap space and go sign players. Here's a little bonus, so you can still add you know a couple more guys if you want to. Um, with that, it comes right in the middle of the taxpayer or the non-taxpayer and the uh, biannual at about four point nine million uh, for this coming season. And again, it can be split up and used on multiple players. This one, you will see me and other cap people generally refer to uh, if we see a contract. That looks like it's for this amount. We'll say looks like it's the room uh, exception or it could come out of cap space because ultimately what teams will do is they'll agree to a contract, let's just say, for $4.9 million for a player. And then they'll sign them in the way that makes the most sense when they, they're done. The room exception is always used after you use your cap space. Because if you use it before, it gets applied to the cap and that that would be a poor use of 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 the exception in your cap space so you're going to ultimately use this one uh last uh there as well as the other thing that gets used last in your order is the veteran exceptions so there's a couple different um or the minimum exceptions i guess is the better way to put that before we move Uh, on there's three different the the veteran one one thing that i want to get into here is this this does create some quite like there's some teams who can make a decision in terms of who they're bringing back who they're not what options they're picking up what they're not can make a decision to act as an over-the-cap team or a below-the-cap team. And sometimes that room exception versus having the mid-level exception can matter. Like the mid-level exception obviously is quite a bit more. So this can be part of the decision-making process. It's not always just, do we want to keep this player or that player? Or what do we want that to look like? Teams can make the decision to go over the cap or go under the cap and then use that as they see fit come free agency. So it's something to keep in mind. It's just kind of an added wrinkle as teams are setting up for their off seasons, some of them, like for example, Absolutely. the Memphis Grizzlies are, are pretty much in that situation right now in terms yep. of whether or not they want to operate as a below the cap team or hang on to a guy like Justice Winslow and stay over the cap. Yeah. So for example, the, the uh, non-taxpayer and the biannual together are about 13.3 million. Mm-hmm. If you're going to come in with less than 13 million in space, you're you're not going to go under the cap and renounce those to go to the room exception. You're just going to keep those two and use use them instead. Unless you really know I can get this guy for 12 million is exactly the number I need to land this guy who's the perfect signing for us, then that's different. And that's this is a good point to say too. These can't be combined together. You can't combine right. the non-taxpayer and the biannual and go sign somebody. They have to be used individually. They can be used on multiple players, but they have to be used individually. So the minimum exceptions, there's three of them. 
There are the rookie minimum, which is the guys who make just under a million dollars. Pretty nice, right? First year in the league, you're just under a million dollars. We don't even know if you can play yet, and we're still going to hand you almost a million. Good work if you can get it. Not bad. Um, then there's the set of the, the one-year service, so that's the second-year minimum uh, there. And then there's the two years of service minimum, which is generally referred to as the veteran minimum. And there's a reason for that. Um, so the rookie minimum, that's pretty straightforward, right? We all get that. Um, you know, that's going to be a minimum contract. It can only be two years if you're using the exception. If you're going to use part of cap space or part of the uh, non-taxpayer or the room or the, the biannual, well, not the biannual, but the non-taxpayer uh, or room, you can use or, or uh, cap or cap room, you can use that to give players a longer term contract. And on this that. is why, let, so, me, let me jump in just real quick here. Yeah. This is why, so Taylor Horton Tucker, who right now is going to be a restricted free agent, this is exactly why he's heading towards restricted free agency right now because yep. when the Lakers drafted him, they didn't have any of their exception available in order to offer him more than two years. That's why you're seeing him hit restricted free agency already as a second round pick. They weren't able to dip into one of those exceptions to give him, say, three yep. or four years. Yeah, perfect. Um, so then what happens is, uh, so that's your rookie minimum. The, the, the one-year minimum, that that is the guys who have played in the league for one year. It's a slight step up in money. And, but similar structure, it can only be for two years unless you're using the others. Now, the two-year minimum, this is one where it's got a little bit of a tweak to it. Uh, this one is... If you sign a player, so Carmelo Anthony is a guy, for example, with this. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, the last couple of years, has signed for the veteran minimum. But what the Trailblazers get hit with for a cap hit is only the two-year minimum amount. So just about $1.6 million, roughly, um, is, is what that amount is. So why that happens is what the, the NBA and the MBPA want to do, uh, the Players Association, that what they want to do is – they want to incent teams to continue to keep veterans in the league. They don't want to just continue to replace with rookies and young guys and call-ups from the G League and all these things. So what they do is they say, all right, Carmelo Anthony is a 10-plus years of service veteran. His minimum is going to be probably around $2.5 or so. We're only going to hit you with a cap charge of $1.6 million. Uh, this past year. Uh, the, this year it'll be similar to that. It'll be like $2.6 and $1.7 million. Um, so you get hit with that minimum cap charge, and that's how you you incent the teams because the difference in their actual salary, the NBA actually pays that, not the team. Um, so the NBA pays that out, and it's a way to keep veterans in jobs, to keep them around uh, with these things. Now, these are almost always used when you're over the cap because you're not going to use your cap space to do something like this, and you you, you can't sign them to that to, to – that, uh, that knocked it down to the league two-year minimum amount if you're using cap space. So what you'll often see with these kind of players is, geez, you know, this guy's actual minimum is 2.3 million or 2.5 million. Um, should we sign him using the minimum exception or should we give him 2.7 million in cap space? And if the player is smart, the player is going to be like, you know, I really want to be on contender X that might go to the finals. I don't care about an extra 200000 Use the minimum exception. Use your, your little bit of your cap space or part of your exception to give, give somebody else a slightly bigger deal. Right. Off we go and off we move. Um, so that's why you'll hear, you'll see this a lot where it will come up. And, and these guys are usually the guys that are signed kind of later in free agency um, after teams have used their exceptions and things like that. Or it's somebody where 
yeah, this is the guy 100%. We know we want this guy, um, and we're going to bring him in on this. These also prorate throughout the year. That's how the Lakers added Andre Drummond this past year. I was on a prorated minimum. Uh, the Lakers had to do some uh, timing and waiting to get it there for him and Ben McLemore uh, at the end of the season because they were hard capped. Because even when you're using one of these, still can't can't go past that hard cap. Hard cap. That's never allowed to happen. And so that's a little bit about exceptions and gives you a little bit better idea. We'll do a whole nother thing about trade exceptions because yeah. they work completely differently. Um, just know these are the exceptions you can use to sign a player. Uh, but we'll talk about trade exceptions, disabled player exception. Uh, I've unfortunately gotten to be a very good expert on the disabled player exception oh, uh, due to Gordon Hayward's injury yes. a couple years ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I know that everything there is to know about disabled player exceptions, and I'm happy to share all that. But tell us, guys, what else is, is it you want to learn about yeah. uh, here on the show? And we're happy to break down these topics like this on these lighter news days uh, when we have a little bit of time. So hopefully that was uh, informative for, for all of you, and, that's, uh, and that certainly helps as far as how you're looking at things. And now when you're when you're on social media, when you're on Twitter or whatever, and you see somebody say, hey, this player's being signed, it looks like it's going to be for the mid-level exception, or it looks like it's going to be for the taxpayer mid-level, or this is a veteran minimum, or, or whatever. Now you'll have a better idea of what that is and what it means, what the team is actually doing. I know it sounds very, very complicated, and the NBA's collective bargaining agreement is pretty complicated, but it's the way things work, and it was kind of the give and take between the NBA and the players in order to create a system that limits salaries, while at the same time providing opportunities for players to continue to get paid, even if a team passes certain thresholds. All right, uh, Keith, I think that was a, a pretty good breakdown, and uh, I think we can wrap things up right about there. Perfect. Hey, guys, we're closing in on 5,000 subscribers, as we said. I'm going to call it the drive for five till we get there. Like then it. I'm going to come up with something cute for six and seven and eight and nine and ten and beyond. And then eventually I'll stop. I promise. But get us to the numbers, and then, then we'll stop talking about it. So, yeah, drive for 5,000. Yeah, we, we want to be there soon. So tell your friends. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Uh, we'll, we'll be coming coming back out uh, near daily uh, with you. And then as we really get into the off season uh, here, when the finals wrap up in another week or so, uh, hopefully another week or so, I want as many games as we can get, um, where we're going to be hammering all the news and rumors and everything else that comes out and then breaking down all the actual stuff uh, when it really starts happening. So drive for five. You know, that, help us out. That's right. In fact, we are now three, four days away from hitting the one-month mark on this channel. So if we can hit 5,000 subscribers in one month, in our first month, we would absolutely be thrilled with that. And would love to get there. So make sure you do subscribe right here to the NBA front office YouTube channel and turn on notifications too. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, like this video as well, that helps us you know, <laughs> get out there in front of people. Appreciate it, everybody. Again, let us know if you have any other questions in the comments down below, anything you want us to talk about in the future till then see ya and stay safe.